Hi, this is Brian Donahue. I'm the planner and lead pastor at Pursuit Friends Church. We're really excited and humbled that you've chosen to spend some time with us this week. We here at Pursuit Friends are committed to pursuing God with abandon and passion. We'd love for you to be a part of our Sunday morning gathering as we worship, hear the message from God's Word, and fellowship. We've got a great community that the whole family can feel a part of something special and authentic. I'll talk more about that at the end of our message this week, though. I hope you've come hungry for the Word, that you're at a place in your heart to receive a challenging and life-giving Word from the Lord today. Let's dive in together. I, um, I love this time of year, typically. Um, I am have always loved Christmas. I have always um, just loved the fact that we get to be with family and friends um, sometimes more often during this time of year than others. Um, and uh, this year's a little bit different and I, I can't put my finger on it altogether. Um, and I'm like still really excited about these things, but there's more pressure in my life now, um, as we all have experienced because of this thing called Pursuit Friends Church. Um, and I've really found myself, especially this past week, we got through the denominational request, um, which went fantastic, by the way. Those of you that haven't heard or weren't, weren't there, it went fantastic, got a lot of great feedback. We should know by the middle of January what their response is going to be um, as they discuss and talk and pray. Um, they have all the documentations of everything. Um, and uh, it's in the Lord's hand what we receive. And they asked a very particular question, uh, and I'm going to come back to Christmas, but they asked a very particular question uh, that was very striking to me, and I wasn't quite expecting it. They asked two, actually. They said to our team, uh, what would you guys do if Brian died? <laughs> So that was fun. Uh, I never thought about like what would happen uh, with the church if I like, you know, just, I'm dead, you know. Um, it was a little freaky how quickly uh, some of you said, well, we would just continue, you know. It was, uh, no, no, it was awesome. It was the exact right answer. Um, well, it would be hard, but, and we would miss Brian very much. Thank you for whoever said that. I don't remember who said that, um, but it was nice to hear that. Um, uh, and it, it was the exact right answer that if I, something were to happen to me, and they asked in a different way, they said, okay, what if Brian is called in two years to go start another church, right? And the answer kind of across the board was, well, we'd figure it out because that's a possibility. I, I have not considered that as a possibility. That is not my heart's desire at this moment. I'm telling you that right now. But what happens if that were to happen? Where would we be? Where, what would we do? Um, turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel 16. Um, but Christmas is, is usually, is, is always a joyous time for me and my family. We miss our beloved great-grandmother who passed away a few years ago. Um, 
This was her favorite time of year, Devin's grandma, Norma. Um, uh, their whole family is going to be here on Christmas Eve. There's going to be like 30 of them here. So we'll at least have 30 more people with us um, on Christmas Eve. I hope you're inviting people and your extended family and all that stuff. But um, Christmas is this wonderful time where, where we usually get to reflect upon the birth of Jesus. And um, this year, I'll admit, I, I've had less time to just chill and relax and dwell on that than other years. I've been so wrapped up in this thing right here that I realized yesterday as um, Devin took the kids to ride horses because it was so fabulously warm compared to days before uh, as I went to her parents' farm to do that. And I was at home looking at my Christmas Eve message going, I haven't really dwelt on this hardly at all. Like I've been so wrapped up in just the things and wrapped up in the process and wrapped up in organizing things, not just for this church, but for our house and our family and have become consumed with all of the little details of what it to get ready for Christmas Day that yesterday the realization really hit me. Wow, I haven't just been still with the Lord specifically to dwell upon the birth of Jesus and what that means. So I was really convicted in my heart um, yesterday and just asked the Lord, would you just give me the opportunity the next few days to just have some calm, to take that time. Even if I got to stay up late to do it or get up early to do it, Lord, would you give me the wisdom on how I could do that? Because it's really important. We have been really busy. Um, and if you're an American and uh, you live in this country and, and you um, are part of the culture in any way, shape or form, your life is probably very busy, right? You've got to pay bills. You've got to raise kids. You've got to go to work. You've got to keep your house in order. You've got to hang out with family who are wanting to hang out more, hopefully at Christmas time. You know, you've got to do all of these things and we can get wrapped up in the busyness of it. That just like I have been this past couple of weeks, so wrapped up in the busyness of church life and trying to keep a healthy balance with my family that um, you just it can pass like that before you know it. So I just want to challenge you guys to do that. And it's really fitting that we're going to talk about David a little bit today. And we are going to link this because, uh, you know, Jesus came from the line of David, right? David gets his name listed in the lineage of Christ, um, which is really amazing and awesome and humbling. If, if you were David yourself, that would be quite something to talk about and be pr proud about. But we're going to dive into here and, and we're going to look at 1 Samuel 16. I think that's our first slide. Oh, it's up there. You know, this is the most I, I really struggled with. If you Google pictures of David and Goliath, I hate about 99% of what I see. Um, because usually, and I don't know if it's because of the artist rendering and how it looks good, 
in a painting or something. Usually they have Goliath right here, this enormous giant. Sometimes he's really wide and broad shouldered. Other times he's more slim and taller. And sometimes the comparison is really out. It looks like he's 20 feet tall instead of nine feet tall, right? Um, uh, but this picture is one of the more accurate pictures I've ever seen as far as painting um, of, of this, what this could have been like. Because David was what we call a slinger, right? He was so good with that slingshot, the, the, the revolutions of, of how many times he could get that thing to spin per second and per minute is incredible. And it's said that, they could hit, that a good slinger back in the day could hit a bullseye target 100 yards away. Like they were deadly. It was a very useful tool for shepherds to be able to at least scare off prey before they ever got close to the flock, before they ever had to get there with their staff. It was a very useful tool. And actually, the armies of Israel and ancient armies, we actually have documentation historically that talk about whole regiments of slingers that were so good at what they did. That is, is kind of, you know, you see in all the movies, like Braveheart, you know, or, or one of my favorite gladiators, you know, where they, where they shoot the bow and arrows way up high and they land on top of the enemy, you know, on the other side of the battlefield. You know, that's what they would do oftentimes with the slings. They, they have whole regiments. It's important to note, Israel probably had a regiment of slingers in their midst, in this spot, in this place. But slingers were deadly from far away. And I love this, this painting of it because it shows David was not toe-to-toe -to -toe with Goliath. That's what Goliath wanted to have happen. He wanted a, a, somebody to come and try to fight him up close. But that's, that's not the tr accurate part of it. David was probably at least whatever that distance is away, if not farther away, because he was so deadly and accurate. We see here in 1 Samuel 16, 7 through 13. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. Samuel has gone to the house of Jesse and, and, and Samuel says, as he sees Eliab in the verse before that, he says, surely the Lord, Lord's anointed stands here before me. We see that. Um, God does not choose those he wishes to work through based on outward appearance. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Hallelujah. He, and he goes on to here and it says, Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shema pass by. But, Shem, but Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him and we will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. So we see here that God does not 
uh, excuse me, just, just pick people to use based on outward appearances. He doesn't use the world standards or wisdom to determine who he gives influence or position to. This is something that really ministers to me because just being real and authentic, there are times when I feel like, God, why me? Why? I don't feel like I can do this. It's, it's one of the things I struggled with really strongly initially for about two years while I was at JFC was, God, I don't know. I, don't, I feel like you want me to do this thing, but I don't know if I can. And it wasn't until the Lord kind of got a hold of my heart and my mind and said, listen, you can't do it. You're thinking about this the wrong way. You need to start realizing and thinking, I can, as in God can. Brian Donahue can't do anything without the help of the Holy Spirit and the guiding of the Spirit. But Brian Donahue can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. He is how we can do anything. And so Samuel had to look past his own conventional ways of doing things and release himself to the upside down and backwards reality of God. God's way are not our ways. And oftentimes things are reversed backwards or upside down compared to the world's standards. Jesus said some very important things that ought to give us a clue as to what that means. Um, the first shall be last. And in our culture in America, you've got to fight to get up to the front of the line, right? You've got to be strong. You've got to be tough. You've got to um, work really hard, which are, which are good things to do and be. But it's all about what can I get? What can I consume? How many things can I put in my garage or in my house? How many cars can I park in my driveway? We are consumed with this type of um, collection uh, type way of, of building our lives. And, and Jesus, Jesus came, the Bible says, for those that were hurting and lost, for the sick. Jesus made himself low to show that he was not coming to dethrone the Roman government. He was not coming in fabulous wealth and worldly possessions and power. He was coming to save our souls from the sin that we have inside each of us. We see God continuing to set a precedent for using people that would not ordinarily be chosen or picked from the mainstream of society to do great and mighty things, to be people of influence and change, because David should have never been king according to this culture and traditions of the day. He was the youngest. Now, he happened to be good looking. Good for him. But he was the youngest in that culture and tradition. He should have never been ordained or anointed anything other than you're going to watch sheep your whole life, boy. You know, your kids are probably going to do that, too. And so for God to pull this young man from the youngest who was tending sheep is just incredible. It's so encouraging to me. See, God didn't say who's the mo who's the best looking, who's the tallest, who's the most intelligent, who's the most capable. 
God said things like this, and I believe he speaks this over our lives as well. I believe God was thinking, who can I trust? Who will always turn to me? Who will bring me the most glory and honor? Who is teachable? Who is humble enough to understand that it's my will that should be done, not theirs? You see, David knew obedience. He walked in it and he lived in it. He understood humility because he had to operate it every day, being the youngest of Jesse's sons. Yay! It was a really good point. I'm going to pretend like that was an amen. Uh, Love hearing our kids in the background. God always chooses people to do great things in his kingdom who are teachable and humble. All you have to do is read through the book of Proverbs and see what it says about the prideful and rebellious heart. See what it says about those who hate discipline. It brings shame and disgrace to you when you are not teachable and humble and coachable and all those things. God is looking for someone who he can trust, not perfect, not blameless, but someone who will always turn to him. David should have never been anointed king by the world standard, but God saw something that caught his eye, an obedient and humble heart. I heard a pastor years ago say this, and it stuck with me, and I've changed the wording a little bit for our purposes here. Um, Because he wasn't talking about David. But David had to come out of his normalcy in order to go into the extraordinary thing God had for him. For those of you that are part of the launch team, we had to come out of JFC in order to step into or go into this extraordinary thing that God has called us to. Oftentimes when God calls you to something, there's a coming out that has to happen. There's a releasing of something in your life that is going to enable you to more freely and powerfully go into the new thing God has for you. And what we tend to do, and I I have done this a lot. I did it with another church in Utah that I didn't want to let go of. I had no choice. I had to. And, and, it was very hard and, and, and very emotional, but you have to let go of things in order to step into the new thing God has for you. And sometimes we want to hang on to the past. We want to hang on to what we're comfortable with. We want to hang on to the things that are just normal. And oftentimes they're incredibly wonderful, awesome things that, that fill us with joy, that, that fill us to overflowing it's not that we always come out. Sometimes we come out of bad things and in rough situations. But oftentimes as, as Christians, we refuse to let go of what God has done back here in order to fully embrace what God wants us to do in this season. And I, I have struggled with that in my life. I have compared ministry to past ministry um, that was uh, very fulfilling and awesome. And I, I would call it successful and have looked back on that with a more happy eye than where I was in any given moment. David had to step out of the field to go meet Samuel. 
He had to leave what God had called him to. Now, he was walking in obedience as Jesse said, hey, come here. But he had to come out of the fields in order to go into what God had for him. Something David probably never dreamed in his wildest imagination would ever happen that he would be king. And so what is your normal? What, what are things that, that sometimes it's sinful things, sometimes it's, it's really good things, but what is God asking you to let go of so that you can fully step into and embrace the new thing he has for you? Many of us want the next thing, but we're not willing to let go of the current thing. We want the next victory or success or new adventure, but we're not willing to let go of the comfort we have today in order to experience the new thing. David's gifting was found in the fields. He, he grew. It was a training ground for him. He found solitude and peace as well as he worked on his musicianship. And even in spite of the lion and the bear attack and, and how he killed those two animals, it was a training ground. And there was some comfort there. Because imagine, if you will, there was, and, and again, just using my, my life and my situation, there was a certain, really enormous amount of comfort being a worship leader as, as my main job. And even being a pastor of young families, because I didn't have to call the big shots. You know what I mean? I didn't have to make a lot of the hard decisions. Sometimes I got to be a part of that, but... There's, there's comfort in where you are right now. And imagine David's comfort as the youngest. He had to make sure the sheep were good, right? His brothers had the harder jobs. His brothers had more responsibility than him. And there's comfort in that. Sometimes there's comfort in kind of being in the background. There's less pressure. David had to step onto another field a field of enormous battle with enormous magnitude for the people of Israel. And here's, here's, here's what we need to know. And I'm not going to talk about Goliath. We're not going to go into that. Um, for one thing, I preached about that not too long ago. But this, this battle that the Israelite nation was facing was very important strategically. They, the Philistines were poised to come into Israel and pillage and destroy and capture the very nation of Israel, enslave them. And Israel was set up on a hill that was intentionally there to help keep bad guys out. And they were the last stand to keep the Philistine army from coming into Israel. This isn't just, you know, the Philistines came and the Israelites came and there's Goliath. And we have this bat, this epic thing for the sake of David and Goliath. This was an important thing. The Israelite nation were scared that this was it. This was a major, major battle that was about to happen. And that's one reason why Israel was so freaked out. Everything was on the line. Everything. David's obedience released him into a destiny far greater than anything he could have imagined as the youngest son of Jesse. Put up this, this next slide. David, the... 
<coughs> David the shepherd. That's how he started. He started out as David the youngest, David the shepherd, David the obedient, faithful, brave, warrior, king, hero, legend. There's a couple things I failed to put in there, but I already saved the slide, and so I decided just to move on. But musicians should be in there. Worshippers should be in there. And then linked in history to the lineage of Jesus Christ. And when you think about the life of David as a whole, this, these are typically words we think of when we think of David, right? David, warrior king. He's a legend. Even to this day, Israel reveres him as one of the greatest kings of all time. We think of David the shepherd. We think of David as brave, as a, as a musician, as a worshiper. You read through the Psalms and just go, wow, David was deep. He had a connection with God. But what is absolutely fantastic, and even though it's a pivotal point in the story of David, the Bathsheba chapter of his just horrible mistake with Bathsheba that led to basically murder, that led to cover-up. When I think of David, I don't, write, I don't go right to Bathsheba. When I think of David, I think of verses like David was a man after God's own heart. Man, that fills me with hope. That fills me with great encouragement that Brian Donahue can be a man after God's own heart in spite of my shortcomings, in spite of my failings, in spite of the sin that's inside of me. That is not who I have to be known for or what I'd have to be known for. As a result of his movement, David inherited greatness. That's the next slide. Sometimes, guys, and this happens to be an interpretive dancer of some kind, um, but sometimes... You just got to take, keep moving. We over-spiritualize oftentimes our walk with the Lord. Sometimes we dig a trench and we pray and we fast. Maybe if we fast, that's done less and less these days in our culture. But we pray, we fast, and we ask God to give us an answer. And we, we want it to be so crystal clear. And I've done this. I did that for two years before saying yes to this crazy thing. And we want like just such clarity and focus. And, and for me, I wanted God to lay out the whole plan A to Z. And God just needed me to take that next step of faith. He needed me just to keep moving. He needed me to put one foot in front of the other. And sometimes what God has called us to do in this moment, in this time, is to simply walk in obedience. To trust Him with what it's going to look like in the future, but to just keep taking step after step of faith as a result of David's movement, he inherited greatness. 
We've got to move. We've got to keep moving as a church. We've got to keep taking steps of faith and living like we serve a God who is the provider of all things, who can do anything, who can accomplish great things in us and through us. We've got to be obedient, humble, flexible, teachable. There's no room in the kingdom for God for people who want to treat God like they do Burger King. This is not a make it your way kingdom we're talking about. It's God's way. It's his will be done. The God of the Bible is very clear. Jesus was very clear when he said, this is how you should pray. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We have to live obedient lives. Our next slide says obedience is the key to walking in your anointing. It's interesting that David's bravery was tested with a lion and a bear and then with this incredibly intimidating giant called Goliath. But we often want the glory, but we don't want the battle. And I confess, I have lived much of my life this way. Because I know how to talk a good talk. Ask my wife. Ask my parents. Uh, sometimes I, I can talk as good as the next person and I can act all bold and I can act all brave and courageous. And, and I can look like on the outside, like I got my stuff together when really on the inside, sometimes I, I, it's just a mess. It's just like, I don't know what's happening. Obedience is the key. You have to be faithful right where you are. We have to be faithful right where we are in this time and place at Pursuit Friends Church. If you feel like you've got much more in you at your job and you're not getting the recognition you need, what God is saying to you right now and what he would say to you in almost any circumstance is be faithful, work hard, be obedient to me. Do this job as it's unto me. Work hard. Be the best you can be. Bless those around you. Honor your boss as much as possible. Be respectful of those around you. Follow the call you have on your life to simply be an obedient follower of Jesus Christ. Obedient is the key. Obedience is the key to walking in your anointing. See, David was walking in his anointing long before he ever stepped into his position. The next slide says you have to accept the battle if you want the glory, which for us is the presence of God. Because we don't do these things. We're not building this church. We're not building the kingdom of God for our own glory and our own fame. But I'm telling you that we can, we've got to stop running away from battles if we want the presence of God to fall on us more and more powerfully all the time. And in our own lives and, and in, in the life of our church, we have got to be willing to face our giants, to look them square in the face and realize that God is way bigger and better and more powerful and more able to overcome and we've got to stop doing this of, of our own. I'm talking personally, individually too. Uh, a lot of this is, is we have got to get out of this just habit of, of looking at our giants from a fleshly perspective. 
we have got to understand that the same spirit that was in David, who was a shepherd, when a whole army of professional warriors were fearful to step on the battlefield and face Goliath, David said, I'll do it. He was, so, he was so ticked that Goliath was coming and hurling these insults, not just at Israel, but at God. That this teenage boy said, I cannot let this happen. That's the kind of heart we need to have in our own walks with the Lord, our own experiences, and as a church. There is no giant too big for us. There's no obstacle too large or too hard to overcome. We have got to be willing to accept the battle if we want the glory and the presence of God in our lives. Because God uses things like battles, like storms, like hardships, like difficult situations, even hard relationships to train us up and to get us to the place to where he needs us to be so that when the next thing comes, we're better able to handle it. And then we got to trust him all the more. We got to walk by faith all the more. And our faith grows and grows and grows and grows because God has a plan for us. There will be battles for us as we grow and as we um, start other churches. Did you hear this? The place of your greatest victory will also be the place of your greatest conflict. That's that is one of the main reasons why I did not want to do this church. That's was something I wrestled with the Lord in a lot because I knew that God, this is going to be the biggest thing you've ever asked me to do personally. That means it's going to be the hardest thing. That means I'm going to have disagreements with people. Oh. That means they're going to disagree with me. It means they're going to tear my documents to shreds like Zorro. It means, inside joke, it means, it means that, you know, the more people that come into this thing, the more likely is we're going to have different ways of how it should be done and how, you know, just, just the place of our greatest victory will also be the place of our greatest conflict. That's why we cannot run from the battle. When you do something special and unique, there will always be people who will not understand or appreciate what you're trying to do. We've all experienced that just being a part of this place, right? But obedience is the key. David walked in his anointing, like I said, long before he ever stepped into his position. Before he ever had any title besides that of lowly shepherd boy, he was walking in faithfulness and obedience and in humility and patience. And there's another part of this that should not go unmentioned. David loved and served God with all of his heart. He served God with all of his heart. He loved God with all of his heart. His love for God is what fueled his obedience and his humbleness. And today we, we know this, but we all come from different backgrounds and in we all have different struggles and needs in our lives. We all have different dreams and ambitions, different goals. We all probably have something in our life right now that's even causing us great distress. And, and I know that that struggle is real. 
You put this up, Caleb. Just want you to hear this. There isn't a single problem in your life that can't be fixed with a fiery love affair with God. Not a single problem in our lives that can't be fixed with a fiery love affair with God. This is why I say often that when something goes wrong in our life, our first response should be worship. Not, oh, it's falling apart. Let's get on Facebook and tell the world how, how bad my life is right now. You know, it's, it's our response should be worship. If we would just learn how to love God and reach out to him and call on his name more, if we were madly in love with Jesus as our King and our Savior, when the storm comes, when the struggle comes, man, we're just going to be in a better position. Our attitude's going to be in a better place. Our minds are going to be fixed on the right thing. Our eyes are going to be made steadfast upon Jesus because we're in love with Him. And it's fiery and it's passionate and it's intense and it's real and authentic. That no matter what comes our way, we know we're going to be okay because we know that God has good things for us. And we also know that tomorrow is not promised to anyone. And we know that hardship is a part of our lives as Christians. And as we look forward to Christmas, here, here is what God is ministering to my heart and for us as a church. Let this be a season of falling back in love with Jesus. And let us help lead others into this as well. Because many of us have Christian friends, family members that love the Lord, but are not necessarily madly in love with him. that need refreshment, that need revival, that need encouragement. And my hope is that over the next few days, as everything kind of culminates for us as a church on Christmas Eve, and then as we celebrate Christmas with our families, that we would just fall passionately, madly in love with Jesus. And that we would spread that around. Let us set our eyes upon the one who is all the hope, all the peace, all the joy that we need to make it through this life. Let us be a people who never lose hope because we never take our eyes off the prize. Jesus is the prize. He is the true gift. Amen. Let's pray. Father God. Thank you for convicting my heart that I have been wrapped up in the busyness of life, that I have failed to take time to really dwell upon what happened over 2,000 years ago.
as you sent your only son, Jesus Christ, down to be fully man, fully God, God incarnate, to walk among us, to teach us, to show us how to live holy and righteous lives, to show us how to love and to serve. And Father, I thank you for Christ's obedience to you, that he went wholeheartedly to the cross because that was the price that it was going to take to get, help us have a eternal relationship with you. Thank you, Lord God, that we no longer need a priest. Thank you, God, that we can fall on our knees and our faces and cry out to you and talk directly to you, have conversation with you. Thank you, God, for the hope that we have. May we teach our kids so much more about Christmas than just Santa Claus and gifts and elves on a shelf and all those things that are wonderful and nice and fun. But Father, would you help us keep our eyes fixed on you? Would you help us not just talk about you, but live about you? Would you help us be bold as we tell others about who you are and as we let our lives back up the talk? Thank you for coming. And Father, would you just be with us through the rest of the week? Lord God, would you prepare us for our Christmas Eve service here at Pursuit Friends Church? Would you bring the people that you desire to be here that need to hear about you, Lord God? They're going to get the opportunity to respond to the gospel and receive you into their hearts, Lord God. Would you begin to prepare the way and make a way for those that need to say yes to you for the very first time? May it be a very special time for us as a church and as a family. And Father, just bless the food that we are about to eat as a church. Thank you for providing it, Lord God. Thank you for the fellowship we're about to partake in. We love you, God. It's all for your glory. This is your church. This is your people. And we love you with all our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. I hope that you've been encouraged and empowered to live out the gospel wherever you go this week. I'd also like to encourage you to be in God's Word every day, because as great as I think this podcast is, it's not enough nourishment to get you through the week. Make your faith and relationship with Jesus personal, and the best way to do that is to be in His Word daily. If you don't have a church home, I'd like to invite you to check out Pursuit Friends Church. We'd love to have you join us on a Sunday morning. You can find out more about us at PursuitFriends.org. I hope you have a great week as you pursue God with abandon and passion.